This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. Always was, always will be. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Awesome nerds, and welcome to another episode of D&D and TV, the weekly podcast where we rewatch and recap television shows we really enjoy and talk about how the themes, concept, and characters can be used in different role-playing games. I am your host, Jeremy, and I am joined by my co-host, Afif, who is testing out his new magnetic uh, cyber limbs and his grav field jump jets. I tell you what, with all this Christmas music, I'm going cyber psycho... <laughs> it's up to uh chris kringle i don't know how chris kringle could work in with chrome but sure yeah it feels that way doesn't it i need my uh injections of holiday suppressants to keep me sane the, the, you mean eggnog is it this yep. eggnog i never understood what eggnog is so sure no it's it just sounds gross i've never touched it yeah immunosuppressants aren't much better to tell the truth <laughs> never really understood what those are either uh, and we are talking today about episode nine of season one of Cyberpunk Edgerunners, Humanity, in which Lucy's captors learn about her secret mission and dark past. David and his team head out to complete Faraday's job, but realize something is off. So, um, good holiday fun. Almost, yeah, we're almost done with these Netflix descriptions. Yeah, that's going to be... There's only one more to go, and to be honest, I didn't actually uh, re- read it to myself as I was typing it out. But um, that's going to be going to be fun. I'm sure that'll be a fun one. Um, this one, I mean, they're kind of the same episode. You were saying this off air that it's really just one long episode that they split into two. Yeah, and well, I know when I first watched the series, I I definitely binged basically like the first half and the second half across yeah. two days. So going back and watching it now, like split apart, has definitely been different as well. Yeah, yeah, having it, um, but um, yeah, these. These broken up into episodes. weekly episodes. Yeah. The, I mean, there's even a moment in episode nine, which then has a callback in episode 10 and you need to kind of, like, it's, it's basically saying, Hey, the start of a line. And then it has the end of the line in the next episode. And if that was like a, well, for everyone watching at home, it's a week between episodes. You're going to have no idea what's going on. Like, why are we, why is that coming a flashback now? Yeah. And there are a lot of like, jumps back and forth and a lot of callbacks to to way early at the start of the season and stuff Mm. i'm wondering i'm wondering if they really meant to have it as like a five episode run and all of these like back-to-back episodes yeah the pacing does kind of shift throughout the series a little bit yeah um it's it's hard to say honestly i think overall Mm. it's pretty good though like that's one of the harder things yeah i I guess it's fine yeah I guess it's fine. Uh, So Um, let's go through um, what happens in this episode very quickly. So Lucy got taken by Faraday and Kiwi last time. Um, And in this one, David and the crew are about to hit an Arasaka convoy. Uh, But that's actually all a setup that Faraday and Kiwi have set up that they some sort of plan to demonstrate the, um, the cyber skeleton that's getting transported. And essentially they've let them know that the convoy's there. So they're going to hit it and then Militech's going to hit them. But that will force David to put on the cyber skeleton and Harasak will have a field test for their new chrome. Is that about right? Yeah, about. It seems, I mean, when you put it that way, it sounds ridiculous. Like I know, right? It seems like this needlessly complex, like over the top plan. Like, surely you can just, if you're Arasaka, surely you can just offer up, offer up like, a ton of money and be like, yeah. hey, like, who wants to test out this awesome hardware? Because there's, there's, like, Chrome Junkie. Like, obviously, you're going to get lots of real kind of trash off the street just looking to make a buck. But there'll surely be, you know, actual kind of Chrome Junkies who can handle it. Well, no, this is the point that they say, that it can't be just anyone off the street. That um, Kiwi does his voiceover and says that, 
the the skeleton when they've tried it in tests, like that she's reading through Arasaka's thing, she's like, this skeleton, it's destroying anyone. It's got to be someone special, and David is that special. Shown to be inconsistent in field tests, those who wielded it can't withstand the strain on their nervous system. That's the only plausible solution to find some like one in a million person rather than just toning back the tech or yeah, like, no, we've, we've designed, it's perfect. We've got to find the right person. There's nothing wrong with the hardware. I feel like that should be made more of an emphasis because it's a really great irony. (laughs) They're just like, (laughs) Like, no, no, we're done. They were done. Yeah. Can't change this anymore. Oh, there's a little bit of how um, Faraday, since he has Lucy, like tricks her, like tricks David into using the skeleton, but then she escapes, but then she gets captured again. Yeah, that was a little weird, like a, well, I guess it kind of made sense. I mean, yeah, it sort of makes sense from a story perspective or like from a relationship perspective, but it was just boring. It's just like, great, let's Uh, get back to the Well, I thought it was weird. He's like, like, of course, didn't you think that we'd have... uh, Fail safes in yeah. place. Yeah, it's like, well, you just let her kill like two of your dudes, and she could have easily killed you, but didn't for plot reasons. Like, it doesn't seem like much of a fail safe. Yeah, it wasn't a great, great option to tell the truth. But I, I didn't even bother with that. I just went. Lucy's the damsel in distress at this stage. It needs to motivate David to do something. Yeah, uh, pretty much. And it was interesting the that whole tech of Faraday kind of emulating her voice or whatever that was. That's a, yeah. I did not like thing. that. That was, I didn't, I found that very creepy because he seemed to bit... plug into her brain and make it looks like she, he was using her phone. Yeah. It felt a little like ex machinery. If I'm being, yeah. because it hasn't come up before, you know? No, no, but it, it made it, at the time it made perfect sense. It's like, yeah, he's got a little thing and he plugs into Lucy's brain, and when she makes the call, it's going to be him saying it. But it's just her voice. Makes perfect sense. Yeah, and to the credit, I think you can actually kind of tell just from like listening to the voice and stuff. Like to the credit yeah. to the voice actress. Yeah, yeah. It it definitely sounds different. Yeah, she's delivering it much like much flatter. Yeah. And I think the problem I have with it is that it doesn't actually, like, change anything. Like, she says the the clear line, but I believe in you. I believe you can do it. And David, like, has this moment of, oh, shit, she'd never say that. So it must not be her. And it's like, well, no, it isn't. But you're still in the same situation you are in before. Nothing has changed now that you know that it's a trap. Yeah. Yeah, there's like a a reveal that doesn't mean anything. Yeah, and I, that I was just like, does does that matter? Like, all right, cool. Um, but there was a lot of violence in this episode. There was. I mean, there is across both of these episodes. Feels like this was the most faceless violence. Uh yeah, classic military bad guys. Yeah, uh, helmets, you know, helmets, so you can't see their face, right? Which I don't think we've had before. Like, previously, when they were fighting someone, it was, like, the bikers, or it was another gang, and we've seen their faces. Like, even the cops, when um, when Maine was taking when them out. When Maine like the, was going, yeah. Yeah, like, their fa- their helmets came off, and we got to see them, not as, indiv- like, their own little plot and backstory and stuff, but we saw them as people and individuals. Yeah. With a very short lifespan. This is just like, it's a truck that just exploded and seven guys are dead. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it is, so it it is where like, it kind of gets off the rails, like escalating, like Michael Bay style. Let's just keep <laughs> chucking more and more explosions. Yeah. Which I kind of like. I kind of like as an RPG where you can just get into those, hey, we're super powerful now, so let's just rip through the enemy armies. Let's slaughter our way to the to the the bad guy at the end of the the tunnels at the end of the dungeon i like that idea and i have a feeling that it'll always end up looking like this when yeah it's like you're at the end of like a campaign Mm. and you know like balance has gone out the window yeah and you like the worrying about the repercussions on like the world because that's a big thing i think when you're game mastering you always got to consider like well when you're when you're game mastering a campaign as opposed to like a one-shot 
you've got to think about the long-term effects of a lot of things and when you make certain rulings or decide to build out a world a certain way you got to think about those long-term effects but if it's if you're at the end of the campaign and things are wrapping up you're like ah oh, just yeah screw it let's just yeah. go nuts it's like so what if the player characters slaughter what's the equivalent of an entire suburb yeah it's like yeah. you just killed the king of this kingdom well it doesn't matter because the campaign's ending so like yeah. <laughs> who cares yeah yeah no consequences right now which yeah you know what it was cool i liked it i thought there was some cool bits in it um did you have any parts that stood out in particular uh i think the i mean the gravity stuff's pretty cool i think where he yeah. like crushes the you know you get the little holes in the ground and stuff like that yeah that perfect circle um as he uh, creates this little grav wave or is i like that it has a little warning light beforehand yeah it is that it is very like video gamey in that respect yeah yeah yep. uh, i did like that he does it that way and i think he's got the two trucks like nose to nose when he does it and the trucks flip up and then the guys inside just explode from the gravity crushing them yeah <laughs> just like really squishing yeah a lot of just blood spurting out of everything and everyone here. I mean, Dave, I mean, the fact that David loses, like, he's down to a torso now. Yeah, that was a big thing, I think, visually. And, yeah. Like, uh, I, when he's installing. When he's installing, yeah. And Lucy calls him midway through. And you can see them starting to put, like, the, the legs on. And, yeah, I was just like, this is horrific. Well, it was like in that, um, the RoboCop reboot movie. Yeah. I don't know if you ever saw that, like the more recent I did. I don't really remember it though. Yeah. It's very forgettable. Uh, except there was like one scene where he like, he he wants to see like, oh, like take away all the like robot parts. I want to see what's left. Um, and you can only see just like a couple of organs basically like connected. That's right. Yeah. And like a a a face and a um, spinal cord or something. Yeah, and, like, that specific scene, like, that's still stuck with me, despite how forgettable the rest of the movie was. Because mm. uh, there's just something about that, you know? Yeah, there's something about, like, it It very clearly was meant to be his arms and legs are now this cyber skeleton. But to me, I'm just like, no, he's just a torso, and all of that's just, like, weird extensions. It doesn't track that he's got arms and legs. I don't know. I don't know what it was. Yeah. I, I didn't like it. it. I lost my relatability with David at this point. Yeah, which is kind of the point, obviously. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and the fact, I mean, he does start to go cyber psycho really early on when Faraday's all just like, yeah, I've got Lucy now. Ha 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 ha. And I like that there's a little monitor of like chrome levels and it gets to 100%. He's like, ah, no, I'm cyber psycho. Yeah. And of course now, and as soon as they shoot him up with the immunosuppressants, it goes down to zero. There's a lot of like kind of expository stuff like that, where, you know, as he's gone around fighting stuff, they're like explaining the capabilities of the suit. Yeah. It's like, oh, is is that the anti-gravity thing? And then he does the thing and it's like, he does the anti-gravity thing. (laughs) Look, it's got a magnetic field and it's drawing all the guns. It's like, okay, cool. I guess. Which is, I don't understand. Why does it only target the guns? Like, what about all the other metal? Maybe well, everything else is plastic. We don't know. <laughs> what? But what if they have... Surely they're, like, rocking some hardware, you know? They've got some... They could be. They've got some chrome. Probably. Well, that's chrome. That's silicon, isn't it? I don't know. <laughs> okay, this guy... Maybe it's directional. This guy Maybe he's able to... about ferrous metals. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely... I'm all about the, um, the metallurgy... Metallurgy. Metal... Metal... Yes. Uh, <laughs> I... Uh, thought that was weird too. I just assumed that the cyber skeleton had weapons in it. Yeah, you'd think that's a more... Effective way. <laughs> it's yeah, a more efficient a system, it. right? Like, like, just chuck a gun in there. to steal guns from your enemies. Yeah, just like have a rocket launcher on the back. Do you feel um, that this is like an overpowered magic item to give your party? What's the drawback in... What would the drawback be for D&D? Uh, it's a suit of armor like, that you can never take off and eventually kills you. Does that exist? Is that a thing? Sure. 
<laughs> we can make it a thing. I mean, uh, what does it do? Yeah. It increases your speed, increases your capabilities, but it reduces your wisdom one point a day until you die. Sure. Yeah. And maybe some sort of like save involved to, for cyber psychosis, you know? Yeah. In case you might attack your allies. Yeah. Well, it, it doesn't feel like he's going to attack his allies. It just feels like he's going to attack Yeah, that is a, that is a weird thing. Yeah. Um, which is not the same as main, right? Yeah. Uh, not that main obviously intentionally kind of attacks Dorio and the like. I do have a question about that because right at the beginning... Kiwi and Faraday are, like, giving his exposition on what Lucy's been up to and, like, why David's special and all of that stuff. And they seem to say that Dorio and Maine were, like, just collateral damage in Lucy protecting David. Yeah, I think that was... I did clock that as well. Um, I think that's more just, like, them trying to... Ju- or, like, trying to paint her as the bad guy, perhaps, like... Because she's not. Yeah, well, that like that's that wasn't what happened, right? No, because she didn't even know about um, David being involved with like the Tanaka thing until after Maine had already like kind of lost it. Yeah, it's not like she like could have saved Maine, but like didn't to protect David, right? Yeah, and Dario was definitely kind of already dead by that stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's just more of a coincidence that those things kind of overlapped a little. Yeah, it felt weird because this seems like the episode where everything's coming out and to have that just be wrong. And it's like, it, it seems like Lucy's been killing people ever since the beginning of the series to keep David safe. It's like, no, she's only been like two or three people. Hasn't really yeah. been that big a deal. She didn't like kill Katsuo or something. Yeah. He's, he'll be back. He's back next episode. <laughs> yeah. I'm so excited. <laughs> Uh, um, yeah anyway you were saying yeah Maine didn't really react in the same way Maine had a little bit more of a just not an idea he wasn't even violent about it he just wasn't very aware of what was going on and responded to everything with violence yeah he'd kind of lost a different grip on reality like yeah yeah Whereas David just seems to be, I'm super angry and I'm just going to destroy all the things. But he's, I feel like there was never, well, like me as the audience, I never felt like I was worried that he would turn on his allies. No, there's one moment where he's standing over Rebecca and Falco and it, he's like super cyber psychoing out, psyching out, I guess, freaking out. I yeah. don't know. Um, <laughs> And there's just that moment they're like, oh, and then he gets shot up with immunosuppressants and he's back. He's fine. And it's not clear, was he going to attack them? Was it just like a weird standing there thing? Was It doesn't matter what he's going to do because everything's fine now. Yeah. Um, speaking of the immunosuppressants, mm-hmm. I think, I feel like this episode's had a lot of like cutting back and forth between yes. stuff. Um, yes. Kind of like a soft cold open and then Mm. going back and like explaining lots of flashbacks yeah a lot of like we're in the moment and then like oh like this is why we're here yeah yeah and this is something to do with what's going on like um just as they start the heist it flat like rebecca gets into the oh no david gets into the car and then it flashes back to rebecca finding him and seeing that he's fallen over and seeing how many immunosuppressants it's got. And he's like, oh, I've got a favor to ask you. No one else can do it. And then it just jumps back to the them in the van. And yeah. it's like all these little moments between them. Um, do you think that would work in like a RPG? I think it could. I think if you were doing a particularly, maybe not a long one shot, but certainly a one shot where you're like at the boss fight, you're just about to go into the boss fight and you want an advantage on something. Like, let's say you want more healing potions or something before going and you go, okay, do a flashback to you and another character and tell us how you managed to get these. Yeah. I can't remember if we've talked about it before, but I think that there's a different RPG that does that. It's like a heist based. Yeah. I thought it was blades in the dark, but I might be wrong. 
that does the flashback. That does sound version. yeah, that does sound familiar. So there is no, I believe I've never played it, but I believe there's no like setup beforehand. You essentially Ooh. just get into the heist, and then whenever you encounter an obstacle, you you do like a flashback basically as to to whether you've prepped something to deal with that obstacle. Yeah. And I like that for this as well, actually. Like, I like that method. I guess um, Fiasco could work for it as well. Where a lot of the time that's, you just have two people doing a scene together. And maybe, like, you roll up and say the scene is in this location. And you go, okay, that doesn't really work with what we're planning out. So let's do it as a flashback leading up to whatever we're doing. And we just have a little discussion of we. this is our plan between the two of us. But in another scene, two other people are going to have a different plan. So as you're building yeah, up to yeah. the, the gig, you're seeing everyone kind of get into their places and what where everything's going to stand as shit starts to go down. Yeah, I like that as well. Yeah. I mean, I did like Kiwi's voiceover of explaining all the stuff about the cyberskeleton. Um, simply because that yes. was like exposition that we as an audience needed. And I feel if it was just Becker and Falco saying it, it would have been, oh my gosh, look at the thing he's doing. Isn't it so cool? Whereas we'd already seen Kiwi say how great this thing is and get all the ta- step specs and try to sell it to David beforehand. Yeah, because that was like another flashback. It was like post-install they flash back yeah. to like before the installation. Yeah, or during, um, like as the installation occurs, yeah. as they find the thing. Um, and I think a lot of that's done here for pacing. Yeah. Um, which I think, like, I don't think you'd use it in that sense for an RPG necessarily. But no, I think it I works really well for this episode. Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking that in particular would work if you give the characters a weapon or some sort of technology or tech or something. And then as they're using it, they discover all the things it can do. I like the sound of that. The other thing I was thinking of is perhaps if you have like a really long combat encounter, you can Mm. break up the combat in that sense. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I like that. And have it tie into the next thing that's going to happen in the combat, you know? Yeah, particularly if you have those waves of enemies like they're doing this, like the first wave is the the shock troops coming in and David just wipes them out. Then you do a flashback to why where he got the ability or everyone planning and now you're going to know what's going to be coming next like we know this is the first wave and then the second wave will be that yeah I maybe think like work really well yeah like a big bad kind of shows up mid-fight and Oof. it's like oh what do we know about this guy and then you flash back and you kind of do a little kind of recon or yeah like we know he's weak in the knees kind of thing yeah. So we know to go for his He's got knees. a lot of anxiety, yeah. He's got a lot of anxiety. Don't make fun of his chin. He's uh, very sensitive about that, even if it is a weak chin. Um, I did like, because this was a very, I think these last two episodes are very, like, info dumpy a little bit. Yeah. Like, there's just a lot of new, a lot of new information specifically. A lot of new information. Um, so I noticed, they just call it the Cyber Skeleton, which is, yes. like, a really, really basic name. Yes. Um, and that's, I think that's specifically so it's easy to understand compared yeah. to like the Sand Everstan, which, I, you know, it works, the Sandy works at the start because it's like, oh, it builds mystery. It's like, what is the Sand Everstan? What does it do exactly? Mm-hmm. But in this instance, you're just like, we need to describe it as efficiently as possible. Um, and that's, yeah. I feel like that's a, that's a D&D thing as well, right? It's like, as much as you might want to build up mystique and some stuff, sometimes you just need to just hammer a point home as bluntly as possible. I mean, there's even just one line where they're like, oh, wow, like this, Andy, it's like, yeah, that's child's play compared to the cyber skeleton. Yep. Um, There's a lot of comparison there, yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's military-grade tech. Yeah, just like the Sandy. No, it's better than the Sandy. Oh, my gosh. But it does also kind of tie everything together with those info dumps of this is Arasaka's super plan to get over Militech and or get into the arms race and Tanaka was the one in charge. And this was the thing that Maine was coming after the whole time. So it, that does feel like that felt like me as a dungeon master, like 
at the end Pulling of the story Pulling all the strings arc. together, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, don't you guys get it? Like, he was the, that NPC that you met at the start. He was actually friends with this guy. And everyone's just like, what? And like, the players are just like, looking at you like, I guess. Oh, like, I, yeah, I remember that guy. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I didn't suppose. even think of that. Yeah, okay. Like, sure, cool. yeah. <laughs> or you're just like yeah. weaving your web, yeah. <laughs> Spot on. All right, how do you feel, speaking as a, as a game master, how do you feel about the convincing of David to get in the cyberskeleton? Because I feel like that's a really good choice that a game master would need a character to make. Like you give them this superpower, but they're going to die. Like right. he's never, he's not. Once he makes this decision, he's not getting. So David's out of this the player life. character. David's the player character in this situation. Like I like giving players that choice, even if there is a potential way out of it, but they're not going to yeah. know it at the time. But how do you? I have had players who just go, "No, not going to do it." I guess that we is just die then. Um, well, I was thinking about. I guess well, because these two episodes kind of bleed over a lot. I was thinking yeah. about, um, like as well like lethality and plot armor and that whole thing as well which is kind of the same thing of like like you want the threat of death to be very real but at the same time you want your characters to succeed um, or you want your players to succeed yeah. and you want them to you know to defy the odds um even if those don't and that's yeah it's an interesting thing some people will obviously be really happy to just die like a hero's death well, maybe we don't say he dies. Maybe like he gives up a lot to get into the cyber skull. Like he gives up his arms and legs, and I'm assuming his dick because it seems like it's just gone. Because yeah, he's just much. a torso from like the belly up. Like that's a big choice. He takes that just because Lucy believes in him. So, do you think you could offer a player something that they go, "Yes, my character is going to have a huge drawback, but this is worth it." Do you reckon you could come up with a situation where they'd take that take that bet? I mean, it really depends on the player. Like, I've right? there are lots of magic items that have drawbacks and stuff. I try to have um, every magic item have a drawback because I feel that's more fun. Like, you should have I think some so well. downside yeah. to it. Like, this is what Chrome and Cyberware does to you. Like, it can yeah. make you crazy. Um, I think you could also just have it as like a a soft consequences, right? It doesn't have to be like death. And then obviously in D and D, you know, death yeah. isn't always the end. So you can always kind of go back. You can see how it plays out basically. And depending on how much they've suffered, like if they very easily win the fight, then you're like, okay, well the consequences need to be more severe, right? To yeah. make up for that. But if they barely scrape through, you think like, okay, it's, he's like suffered enough, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's going to be it. I just find it interesting. So often when I'm trying to make deals with players, it's um, it's usually demons or devils, and they're saying, okay, cool, or I'll give you everything you want. All you got to give me is your soul. Like, yeah. You're not using it. It's going to be when you die that I get it. And every single time, 90% of the players go, nah. Nah, not giving you my soul. Oh, like, I'm what? one of those players who will <laughs> I'll say yes to that every time. Yeah. Uh, there's there's 5% of players who are like, yes, I'll give you my soul. And then later on when they try it again, like, sorry, somebody else has already got it. You're going to have to go talk to that guy. I like trying to see how, de- how deep of a hole I can dig myself into and like mm-hmm. still get out, basically. Yeah, that's it. See, that sounds really fun. Like you just start <laughs> racking up those debts and waiting for the debts to come in and collect. So that's yeah, for, that for the future to deal with. And I think interesting. that's... That's kind of what David does here. Like he just like I got this is the option in front of me. I got to take it. Yeah. So what do you do if he says no as the game master? Then you have a big boss battle in the desert. <laughs> and they go ahead in a blaze of glory. It's like the end. Yeah. Uh, but speaking right, of, Lucy I think comes that's... in and saves them or something. Yeah. Falco grows uh, extra eyes on his other side as well. Falco grows. Falcon wings? Ah. Mm-hmm. Um, becomes a beholder. Oh. Yeah, because becomes a beholder. His eyes. Sure, 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 sure. Uh, oh, yeah, Faraday is a beholder. Oh, that's a oh, cool idea. Cool, actually, I like yeah. that, yeah. Um, yeah. I'm into that. Yeah, you said you mentioned the desert before, yes. actually. And I think, is that the first time we've been in the desert? Not the first time. Uh, well, we were out there when Maine was all, like, hallucinating. And Did I count? In, 
Uh, sure, not really. But in Stronger, in episode seven, um, after they were done hanging around naked, Lucy and, and David went out there to just look at the city and like get oh, back to right. nature and talk to each other and stuff again. Yeah. Like so a, there was that. Getting back to nature is a desert. It's yeah. just completely barren of anything. I like the look of the desert in this with all like the old wind, um, all the old, what do you call? Turbines. Turbines. Yes, that's the word I'm looking yeah. for. Thank you. Wind turbines that are just clearly broken down and aren't used anymore. But it just felt that slightly apocalyptic Mad Max like wasteland feel to it. Yeah. And like even in the desert there's still just like so much junk everywhere like yeah. there's just the it just extends so far out you know yeah it's just this is where people go and dump it uh, but there was like some there was some cool action sequences before he got the cyber skeleton as well there were there was the decoy crew that um that Faraday <laughs> set up yeah, the decoy camel. Um, Faraday sets up the, the decoy crew who think they're doing this hit on the Arasaka convoy basically to separate the convoy so that David's team's got a better shot at it. And I yeah. I love them. I thought they were great, honestly. Because again, fun, they're fun, yeah. They're the, the other edge runners, like the ones that look like Maine and like the big punks and weird like Mad Max style road crews just driving along and they've got their yeah. little setups. It's, it's like, what the hell are yeah. these guys? Is this what all cyberpunks look like in this world? There's a lot of really fun, like, designs for the minor characters in this show. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of the um, the lackeys that Faraday has around him that, like... I know. Just don't get introduced in any way. Like, there's one guy who's just fully chrome, like, looks like a robot almost. That, I did notice that Lucy is chained to the guy's necks. Like, they've got collars on, and her wrists are chained to the collars. Oh, I don't think I noticed that. I don't think I noticed that. Well, this is how she gets out, that she's, like, kind of leaning forward, and she shoots out her nano whip or whatever it is, and takes yeah. off their heads, because her arms are up near their heads. And I'm just like, what, what is Faraday? Like, what's his deal? He's got, like, these gimps running around with him, and, like, what the f- Is he just, like, super- super decadent and i don't know yeah well he he mentions a bit as well about how like oh, anybody who knows about the cyber skeleton has to die yeah and everyone like, knows if i'm if i'm one of like those henchmen i'm just like whoa but they <laughs> what, seem to be like completely completely yep. bland about it all they're very they're very faceless characters but they are fun yeah yeah they are fun there's a good design for them it is very punk aesthetic do you feel do you ever regret having characters like that in your games? Because, like, undoubtedly your party... Like, you just want them as set decoration, you know? But your party's obviously going to go up and talk to them. I generally... Well... I like them as set decoration. If they become interesting enough, I make them more than that. I start giving them names. Otherwise, it's just that guy and he'll have a little side... Like a one-liner or something and then he leaves the scene. And I don't bother about it anymore. Like, yeah, I, I think... would walking into a room with the boss like Faraday, let's say it's a beholder, if, if we're doing yeah. D&D, he'll have some henchmen around. I won't describe them in detail. I'll just say it's four orcs. And the closest one is bigger than the others. That's it. Yeah. I won't go into, and one of them's got a collar, and one of them's got like one eye, and one of them's got like broken tusks, and another one's got a tattoo saying mum on his shoulder. I wouldn't worry about any of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, sometimes people, yeah. I mean, it's it's about finding that balance. I think I had a trio of henchmen where, like, one of them had an eye patch on his left eye, one had an eye patch on his right eye, and then one, one had eye patches on both of his eyes. And, like, that, that was, like, as far as it went. Yeah. Just for no reason. Um, but, yeah. Because I do more Wacky. ridiculous. Yeah. I think, well, that's... I feel like it's, humor, it's yeah. the lore of threes. Like, if I was going to have a boss and he's got three henchmen, then yeah. I'd make them individuals that way. Like, if they're working yes. as a unit all the time, then, yeah, I'm going to do that. If it's just, you like... You can have, like, a like a melee guy, a range guy, and a spellcaster. Something like yeah. that, you know? Yeah, then it's, like, the, um... Oh, what's the Spider-Man villains? I can't remember. There's three of them. One's a, a cowboy. The Riddler. One's... Sure, sure. <laughs> Catwoman. <I'm... sighs> 
Look, I, I, know you're, I know you're just saying this because there's like ads for the Batman on Netflix. This is why you're tormenting me with that. Dr. Fate. No. Oh. <laughs> All of these are DC characters. Oh. Um, okay. No, there's, there's three villains that work as a duo, a trio like that. That one of them's like a big tough guy. One of them's like the smart little face guy. And another one's like got a whip or something. And it's like, they're they're the trio that work together. And it's just, it's a cool thing that these are three people who operate well together. So yeah, they've got that. But I feel that if it's going to be, if I want the focus to be on the boss, if I want the focus to be on Faraday, then the henchmen cannot draw away from that at all. Yeah. Like, I don't want to, there's the shot of when they're dangling um, Lucy into the hot tub. Like they're, they're torturing her to get the information out or maybe Kiwi's deep diving on her or something and Kiwi's talking to Faraday and there's no... I couldn't tell which of the characters in the scene she was. I could tell Faraday, I could tell Lucy. Everyone else around there were just kind of fig, like stick figures almost. Yeah. Just like yeah. head. They're just kind of there and I understood they were all henchmen, but which one was which I couldn't tell you. And that's what I want the henchmen of my my villains to be. Unless there's someone like specific that the party will have, like a minor villain that they're going to have to fight individually elsewhere. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing as well about, like on a show, you can just like fill a scene with a whole bunch of stuff. Um, but with your, yeah, if you're running a game, a- anything you describe the characters, uh, the player is going to lock onto. You know, they're yeah. going to think, oh, they've described it, it's important. Yeah, why does that door have two two handles? It's like because yeah. there's two doors. Just don't don't think too much. Uh, you mentioned hot tub though, and I thought I just realized like is that like an anti net running thing? Maybe because normally they're in the ice baths. I just figured it was like the closest body of water that they could put her in. Like, what if they overheat? Like, yeah, that could be it. Interesting. Yeah, I never thought very about interesting. That. Huh. Very interesting. But they seem to know We're everything. Making our own about fanfic. It, so yeah. 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 Why not? Cyberpunk doesn't seem to be telling us. <laughs> I feel like I need to play the 2077 game now so I can learn all this stuff. Uh, sure. I know Adam Smash is in it, so. Great. And I'm not, Good. I'm not sure if he's like the pinnacle of, I mean, he comes up next episode. I guess we'll save that for next episode. Yeah. I mean, he's been built up over two episodes here, so. So much build up. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we all we all were wondering when he was going to show up. After all, all right. Should we talk about the Falco in the room? <laughs> yeah, uh, sure. Why not? Falco <sighs> Falco does step up and like play a this, bigger part in here. There's like a weird this freaking guy. <laughs> Falco just this... has chemistry with everyone in this episode. I mean, uh, maybe it's because it's Matt Mercer. Yeah, probably. But he's got like a little bit of little bit of chemistry with Kiwi when they're um, before Kiwi betrays them, and then he's got like a little bit of chemistry with uh, Becca. Yeah, that's a cute little scene. Yeah, and then I guess he's also got chemistry with David when he's like, "Hey, you guys up for this?" And Falco's like, "Yeah, of course I'm up for it." Same Matt Mercer. That's my best Matt Mercer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, it's just like Falco has suddenly become one of the major players in this crew. Yeah, he's always been like... I think both his character like in the world, but also like him as a character, like as a writing tool for the story, yeah. is very much just like only there for as much as he's needed, right? He has like one specific function. He's the driver. Like we call him into drive, that's yeah. it. He drives, he's done, he's out, like that's it. Yeah. Well, he, it's like, yeah, we need an extra person in this scene. We we need a character to get somewhere. Like, we'll bring in. Yeah, I think you're right there because there's that moment when Kiwi's trying to get into the truck after David knocks it off a canyon, which we haven't even talked about yet. Um, and Falco is oh, any of that. No, we missed all of that. Uh, Falco's like having his cute little scene with with um, Becca, but then he's like, "Hey, you know what?" I never really realized how exposed we are out here. If someone like wanted to take a shot at us and try to rip this off, this would be the place to do it. And then Arasaka like fucking shows up and Militech shows up. And it's literally as soon as Falco starts to realize something is wrong. 
It's like yeah. he's there for exposition and kind of be the audience like, oh no, they're not he's as the, stupid yeah. as they look. He's the fourth wall breaking character. He's like the audience insert. Yeah. Because he's suddenly new to it all. And it's like, yeah, well, he's been, we've been seeing it all along. And apparently Falco's been there all along, so he can see it too. Um, yeah, so there was some other stuff, actually. About that Falco? we didn't really talk about. Well, that's stuff <laughs> just that just in happened. general. Yeah. I don't think there's much to talk about. Honestly, Falco... Falco's there. He's just... He's good. He's, he's an enigma. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a mustache. Uh, that's really all you need to know. Well, well, interestingly, you know, he does, like, listen to David's final request, like, at the end of the next episode. And yeah. he, he does, like, a very good job at like following that he's a man of principle yeah well he's very much one of Maine's crew like everybody in the crew has their principles they are i think that's what we're supposed to see is different about this crew compared to like the decoy crew that we see as well like the decoy crew are just violence for violence sake whereas these people have principles yeah um but there is a whole thing like these last few episodes about there's a lot of like backstabbing that goes on it's in these true. episodes. A it's lot true. of that. Um which I feel like there was there's a bit of that at the start of the series and then it kind of like drops off. You reckon? Um Well at, at the start there was definitely you had like Lucy tricking David like way at the start. Mm. Um I think the stuff like to do with his school and yeah, even just like first meeting Faraday, I guess. But it kind of takes a backseat, I think, when he's just yeah, it's a little bit ropes. it's removed. Like it's not yeah. happening to David; it's just kind of happening. Like he's not really affected as much by it. Yeah, and it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen to them. Well, there's like J.K. backstabs Tanaka. Yeah, J.K. backstabs Tanaka, who and then he gets killed by Tanaka. And David doesn't get his effect. Like, David, he ends up on top because of it. Like, Lucy betrays him, but that ends up getting him in with the Edge Runners. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And now it's kind of, well, all those double crossings are starting to, well, be a problem. Yeah. Um, You could say that they get flipped. Like everyone flips these, these, flips um, these cars, flips these cars. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to talk about the truck, the harpoon thing that he does to it Yeah, when he's on top of the, cool the truck. Yeah. That was pretty cool. Where he's just like, oh, and Rebecca's like, don't use the sand. He's like, cool. I'm going to use the sandy. He just like, didn't hesitate as well. Does not hesitate <laughs> at all. But yeah, he's, nope. there's that moment where he's standing on top of the truck and he activates the sandy and we just get to see him standing there with the, like the, the echoes behind him as the truck moves and he doesn't. I thought yeah. that was really cool. It is. Uh, I still, I still love the animation whenever he uses Sandy. Yeah, I'm really hoping that I'm able to use that one as a screenshot for for the Instagram because that's my favorite moment of it. I am interested. Okay, so I am interested. So pre this gig, he has his like little breakdown. Uh, he's close to cyberpsychosis, right? Becca yeah. walks in on him. Yeah, and he's he's aware of the fact that he's like basically about to go over the edge right yeah but as far as he knows at this point it's like a routine gig yes like he yeah he thinks it's just a simple smash and grab but he's still like just quick to use the sandy so he's like ready to go over the edge for that for like a simple gig is that um i think He's doing this job because it's going to pay really well. And he's got plans for that money. Like, he's very aware he's not getting out of this. Like, this is his last gig. He's just got to get through it. You think that's his mindset? This is his last? Yeah. Okay, interesting. Good, A good lesson for any game masters out there. You want your place to do something ridiculous? Just put a huge bag of gold there. Pretty much. That's usually what I do. All right. There's a thing that I do in my games. Well, this is the games that I always regularly run at Fortress. Yep. Uh, this episode brought to you by Masters of Alchemy. And I always tell the group early on that the 50 gold is a lot of money in this world. 
that um, yes. a year's salary is about 50 gold. So they start off with 10 gold. And then the guy comes to, like the the person giving them the adventure comes to them and goes, this is going to be a thousand gold each. And after that, they have no further questions about what he, like whether they should take the job or not. They always try yeah. and get more out of him, but of they're course. always like, no, no, we're going to take the job. And it really is that simple. If you want to motivate players, you show them a lot of gold. And when they don't want it, that's when you know you've given them too much money. Well, I mean, what do your players spend gold on in D&D? Not that much, honestly. Because I feel like a lot of players don't know what to spend it on either. Yeah, like- once you actually start to, like, build them a castle and, like, give them as many magic items as they want. I do like to have, like, living expenses sure. um, as an option. And one thing I've been doing recently is for a Spelljammer campaign, it's basically they have their ship and they have their crew and they have this is how many gold it costs you a day just to keep the ship running. Right, right. So they always have to have a certain amount like putting into the kitty kind of thing. Like as a group, like they have to go out and earn money doing these jobs and then they have to wait and it's like, I'm going to roll and see how many days it takes you to find a new job because that's going to be eating into the money that you've got. So that's what I I, let them spend the money on. I'm okay with that conceptually. I just don't like the lack of tools with fifth edition specifically that they give the dungeon masters to facilitate that. I mean, there is the option. There is the point where it says, this is how much living costs a day, depending on what kind of lifestyle they have. And I think that kind of relies on the dungeon master then saying, okay, so it's been six days since your last adventure, mark off this much gold. So that's the only tool that it has. It doesn't really give you much more. It's like the downtime rules. It's like that most of the time, the downtime rules, they'll end up with more money than they started with. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, there's not really anything for the, well, anything from the bike um, after a certain point. There's nothing they really need. They can get as many 10 foot poles as they want. They can build a fence out of them. I just think it's interesting. Like you give someone in real life a lot of money and they're Mm. not going to run out of things to spend it on, you know, like there's always going to be something. Yeah. PlayStation. Yeah. In this fantasy world, it's like, well, I, I don't know what to buy. Like. Yeah, a new house, I guess. So many things you could spend it on, but yeah. This is where it kind of relies on you to come up with extra stuff for them, like masterworked weapons. But then, of course, they say, well, why am I buying, you know, why am I spending $1,500 on a saw that does the exact same thing as another one? And that's when you start to tell them, this is how capitalism works. (laughs) Oh, big bad of every campaign. Hey, if we're going to be starting to talk about money and what you spend it on, there's this really cool game called I Hunt. And oh, what's about? <laughs> so it's about monster hunting for the millennials in the gig economy. And one of the, the monsters basically is capitalism. Like that uh. idea that you always have just enough money to live on. And it doesn't matter how much money you make at the end of each yeah. thing, there'll be extra costs that come off. And it's really kind Lifestyle of keeping creep, you... Yeah. yeah, and it's just that's how life operates. And that's kind of what I think you should try to learn from for D D as well. It's like if you get too many if they start getting too much money, you're like new tax. Yeah. You're getting yep. taxed. New adventurers tax. Yeah, um... adventurers tax. Inheritance tax. I mean, if you looted that place, well, you've got to give a bit to the government. There's going to be people coming along and saying, hey, that used to be my ancestors you just looted the tomb of. So uh, I'm going to have to get some of that as well. So you really start... And that will either lead them down the dark path of we're an evil campaign and we're going to take over the world, or they won't have as much money and they'll have to keep adventuring. Um, yeah. I mean, I think in a perfect world, your, your player characters will have other motivations to go out and adventure. Yeah, in a perfect world. Um, but yeah, but money is a, a reliable good fallback. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of money, um, we should let everyone get out and get back to work uh, and wrap this episode up. Talk about who we're going to make as an NPC or a play character. That was, in our that, games. Was a se- that was a segue. What do you mean it was a segue? That was a great segue. <laughs> that was that was Speaking Elder Claw worthy. Yeah, that was a great one. Sure. <laughs> Speaking of money, I need a job. Um, 
Anyway, I was thinking that we've kind of covered everything in this episode, uh, unless you've got anything yeah. else you'd like to add. Um, no, I think it's yeah, pretty straightforward. These yeah, last episodes are, are very vibey. Yeah, yeah, they pretty much are. Yeah. Um, so the one thing we do before we wrap up is talk about uh, which character or we would use as a player character or an NPC in our games, and uh, who would you choose, Afif? I mean, I've got to go with Falco just for you the. I reckon, like, I've played... That epic I've played lots of characters. The mustache is very tempting. Um, Although apparently he'd look better without it. Is that the implication? Um, He thinks he would. He thinks that if he shaved it off, uh, Becca would just, like, fall at his feet. She seems Or is that just because she looks kind of young, like it's a childish thing? Yeah, maybe. Well, I'm going with Falco, not for the mustache. Okay, you're going with Falco. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, uh, for the metal hand that gets punched off next episode. Oh, is that what happens to it? All right, cool. Yep. Um, uh, I'm going with... Well, if you finished. <laughs> Sorry, oh, I'm just going to so, cut in. No, it's fine. It's fine. I, don't have to say, so. well, I was just going to say, I've played characters like Falco before where I just, I've been there almost just as a spectator, you know? It's oh, like okay. sometimes yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, don't yeah. want to like play a character and get involved. I'm just like, I just want to be there. Like, if you need me, I've got some skills. Like, I'm happy to contribute to the party when I'm yep, called yep. upon, but otherwise I'm just going to be there. Yeah. Yeah. You're the workhorse. You're just kind of there for, for, to be there. You're filling out the numbers. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like that. Well, actually filling out the numbers kind of works for, for my choice as well. I'm picking the, uh, the decoy crew. Because um, okay, sure. I really like the idea. I'd actually make them PCs because they're the other party in the adventuring ca- game. They're the ones that like get all the really shit jobs, <laughs> and like they're the ones that have to clean out this this tiny little goblin cave. And they're like, all right, cool, we've done that. And then it turns out there was a secret passage that leads into like the the evil necromancer's fortress, and another group has come along later. They just needed the cave cleared out. Because uh, they didn't want to waste their resources before they went up against the necromancer, so they're the that's this is what the the other party has to do. do. I like the idea of that. That would make for a really interesting campaign as well. Actually. Right? If you're like if your party is like the B team, like yeah. unwittingly, you know, you keep going to places and it's like somebody else has already done the job, and you yeah. know, that's pretty fun actually. Yeah. Yeah, or you've got a really basic job, and you're like, yeah, that's great, and then it turns out there's a special job that you were you were covering for, and yeah. Yeah, I, I, that's yeah. that's who I'd pick. Um, so that's it for this week. Uh, happy holidays, everyone. Stay safe out there. Uh, listen to us on anywhere podcasts are found. Come and talk to us on Instagram. It's at dndntvpod. If you've got any questions, uh, please send them through to dndntvpod at gmail.com. Uh, but until next time, stay safe. Be kind to yourselves. Uh, Wesley crushed out there. And may all your hits be crits. <laughs>